Hello and welcome back to the history of video games. My name is Ben and I'm joined by the one and only Wes. How are you doing, Wes? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing good, man. Love to hear. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of snowing the last couple of days, so I've just been inside playing games, not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel that. I mean, it's been a, a bit of weird weather, but I was happy at least it was on a day where I didn't have anywhere to go and I could just watch the snow. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was like, I could do some chores today, you know, go get groceries or whatever, but it's like, it's too cold outside. Just stay inside, Ben. And I did that. <laughs> Perfect. You need those days every now and then. <laughs> yeah, I don't need food. <laughs> Who needs food when you got good games? But uh, what's been uh, sustaining you in the gaming world recently? <laughs> well, I got to talk to you about um, Wizard 101 because I'm back. I'm back oh, in it, Wes. Okay. After yeah. like a two month break or something. During the past two months, I've been kind of doing those quizzes every, you know, maybe once or twice a week just to kind of keep getting some in-game credits while I wait until I get interested in it again. So when I went back to it, I knew I had enough credits for one wing, like one more zone to purchase, but I wasn't sure if I had enough for two. But um, I went back in, I only had enough for one at the moment, but I got a second one really quickly. Nice. And I don't know if you remember, but the story from it, it kind of divides into these three different zones, and the story seems like after you complete those three zones, it, like something would happen, like the story would connect and, you know, move to some other right. part of the story. And so after I got that third zone unlocked, it didn't unlock additional content for me. So that zone by itself, I don't know, I, I had maybe four hours of good play time. With that and then i i you know had enough credits pretty much to get another one and that one unlocked a lot of stuff i think mainly because i reached level 15 and a bunch of stuff opened up at 15 that i guess is open to anybody but um i didn't realize it so like gardening opened up as a secondary profession kind of thing and um also player housing opened up which is something i really didn't expect because you get like a dorm room as your player housing like at level one and i just assumed anything bigger than that you're gonna have to pay money for but no i mean i, I used like in-game gold to buy this like cottage looking <laughs> it almost looks like a castle almost but it's oh, like okay. a nice. much larger house with an outside area you can plant so that was really cool and um it also unlocked at level 15 i guess the game's first dungeon or instance or i don't know what they call it but you know, some really hard little mini zone that I got for free that I I went in there thinking for sure it would be like, you know, pay some extra money to play this zone. It's like, no, I just got it. So oh, wow, that was really cool, too. So I got a lot of maybe, I don't know, 10 or 12 hours of game time with these last two zones. And um, I've just been really enjoying it, man. It's not so enjoyable to grind because like after you do the questing and stuff, there's really not much to do, you know, other than, you know, keep doing quizzes to get the next zone. But um, when you're actually doing the questing and stuff, it's it's very enjoyable. So I really have been liking it and I'm going to keep doing the quizzes. I've got like no money now, no credits now, but, you know, in another seven or eight days, I'll be able to get another zone. And I'm debating maybe putting some money into it. I found out that the prices are very reasonable. You get pretty much a whole expansion pack, which 
is probably like 20 zones, but some of them are going to be like hub areas, so they're not going to be questing areas. But um, it's a lot of zones for like 20 or 25 bucks. Okay. So, and it's for your whole account. So I can make another character, and they'll also have those zones unlocked as well. So I'm thinking about it. I think I'll wait until I kind of have to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm going to have to do that sooner rather than later because one of the most expensive worlds in the game is like the second world. So I don't know if they do that on purpose, <laughs> but I'm thinking about doing that. But yeah, I'm definitely enjoying it. I've gotten many hours out of it for free, so can't complain. Nice. I mean, that's a good sign whenever you play a free-to-play game long enough that you're like, I actually want to pay money to kind of, you know, since I got so much time for free. And also, it's nice when you look at the shop and you don't feel like, I'm going to spend money and get nothing in return. <laughs> like, right. No, I think I'm going to get a good 20, 30 hours of gameplay for that money, which isn't like a forever amount, but it's decent value for money, I think, so... That's also makes me want to do it. Nice. Oh, well, very cool. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I know you've been trying to talk me into it, and I'm being a bit oh, yeah, of yeah, a, too, a stickler for visuals, and I'm not drawn in by its art style, but I got to give it it's a shot. It's not to as at bad least... as you think it is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, have you played the Pokemon card game online? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That one is like a kid's game, right? right. <laughs> and it really feels like a kid's game. But this one, it's simple graphics, but it's not a kid's game. It doesn't feel like. It's just a cartoony game. Right. So, okay. But I think if you get into it, you'll, you'll see that. Cool. All right. Well, I'll have to give it a shot at some point. Yeah. It's cool when you see like somebody with a, a mount and it's like they're in a mech suit and you're like, okay, <laughs> there's some cool stuff in here. Oh yeah. That sounds like Final Fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Nice. But what have you been up to, Wes? Well, so I uh, still have only been playing Elden Ring, but I wanted to break things up a little bit. And instead of doing three days in a row or three episodes in a row of talking about Elden Ring, uh, talking about another game. I played about a month ago, but I never got a chance to talk about on the podcast. And that's this game called Vampire Survivors, which I think about a month ago uh, sort of blew up in certain circles on like Twitch and YouTube and stuff like that. One of the big streamers who I watch who was playing it is Northern Lion, who's a big roguelike and uh, Binding of Isaac streamer. Okay. And this is sort of a roguelike. It's also kind of, but not really, like an idle clicker kind of game. Not really because you still control your character and you have to dodge stuff, but you automatically fire. That's like one of the big gameplay elements of this. But the theming is basically like Castlevania. There's monsters and zombies and you're the characters from the Castlevania games. Like the first one you start out with has a whip. I don't know Castlevania well enough to remember what the main character with the whip is named, but it's a very obviously a play on those characters. Okay. But then you load into the game and you are in the middle of the screen and all these enemies come from all the sides of the screen, slowly make their way towards you. And you just have to survive for 30 minutes. The enemies get progressively harder. They drop experience when you kill them. 
and you level up and there's this wild loot box like animation anytime you level up because you get to pick a new item uh, and when you kill like the elite enemies they drop a chest which can give you up to five item upgrades at once but basically you have a set amount of item slots uh, for like weapons and then for passives basically like passive skills and you kind of have to collect and make a good synergistic build to survive and fight off these waves of enemies but you get progressively harder for 30 minutes and then i think a boss shows up and then the grim reaper shows up and kills you at 30 minutes but that's how you win basically <laughs> um, but it does have roguelike elements to it too you pick up gold as you do the runs you can use it to buy more health passive life regeneration better luck on drops from chests and all that and new characters all the characters kind of have a really unique way of playing there's one person who is homing magic to start off instead of the whip guy who's kind of hard to use there's like a level of depth that i really wasn't expecting because apart from being this sort of you know like 16-bit graphics style simple game it's also only three dollars on steam okay honestly they, talking the dude should <laughs> raise the price to like i don't know six or ten and he'd probably still get just as much people buying it maybe ten would be a little bit much but for three dollars like it feels like an absolute steal i probably played it for like 20 hours and that's enough to be like yeah okay i did <laughs> yeah but the runs are very much like oh just one more kind of thing but there's also depth with like item synergies and once you fully upgrade an item if you have a certain other item that synergizes with it uh, in your inventory it upgrades into like this special unique upgraded form uh, which is fun because of course then that's just another unlockable item that you want to like figure out all the combinations to how to get all these cool weapons apparently a lot of the stuff in the game is just sort of like italian memes about castlevania or something like that okay <laughs> i just saw somebody talk about that on twitter so like to me just all the names are really funny like you have uh the bible basically circling around you periodically doing damage as one of the weapons and it's just called king bible and instead of like the king james bible i guess or whatever <laughs> and the garlic i forget what it is but you have garlic that does like a aura around you that deals damage so it's just kind of goofy and like has that fun vampire slaying theme to it but a really addictive gameplay style of just picking up items walking around dodging enemies while the shooting happens on its own and trying to survive as long as possible <laughs> hmm. are you just in like a like pretty much a square box and you just survive or is it like a more of a like you move through some sort of story or something there's no story you're basically in a square box, except it's infinitely scrolling in all directions. Oh. You can kind of just walk forever. How do you know where to go? Or does everybody come to you? Everyone comes to you. All the enemies oh. are just automatically always going straight to you. So it's very much like you don't have to think about it too much. Got it. I forget if the screen scrolls because you actually have to pick up the experience that enemies drop. So you can't just like walk away from it. It might scroll or loop. I mean, uh eventually so like if you keep going straight up you might eventually get to your experience points but i'm not positive it might just scroll forever without ever looping <laughs> yeah 
that's the basic gist of it. I mean, it's a $3 game, super simple, but really fun and a nice just kind of like chill thing if you want to kill like an hour in the evening sometimes with a really low maintenance kind of game. Right. Cool. Oh, that sounds nice. Sounds yeah. like something right up your alley. Definitely. It's a good time and can't say it enough for $3, especially a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with that being said, uh, why don't we start talking about our special topic for today? Oh, yeah. We're going to be covering Mattel. Uh, we figured it's been a while since we talked about them. And also today in the timeline, we are going to be talking about a couple Funtronics handhelds, which is actually a brand under Mattel that they were doing a few of these handhelds under. So we thought now would be a good time to talk about Mattel, even though we all know the name and how they got started. So Mattel's been around, at least the idea of Mattel, all the way since 1945, when Ruth and Elliot Handler and Harold Matson formed the company. And you might be able to hear how they got their name. It was Matson and Elliot combined to make Mattel. Of course, Ruth got left out of it somehow, although she eventually <laughs> became the president of the company and she is the creator of the Barbie doll in 1959. So she's got a big name in this company, even if it wasn't named directly after her. But they started uh, when they were first formed in 45 in the picture frame business specifically. And then they expanded apparently with kind of leftover parts from the picture frames into making dollhouse furniture and so after they've been doing that for a while they realized there was tons of toys that they could expand into started making a pretty big name for themselves in the american toy market they became one of the first toy companies to start gearing advertisements directly towards children and sponsored the mickey mouse club show on tv so they were getting their commercials in on shows that kids were watching and they just kind of really blew up. They definitely had some rocky moments, but in the early years from like the 40s through the 70s, they had some great publicity within 1965. They made an astronaut Barbie, which was sent to the moon before Lance Armstrong actually walked on the moon. So Barbie was there first. Amazingly, I'd never heard that before, but it's pretty cool that she was sent there at some point, I guess, when they were investigating how to land someone on the moon. And then in 1968, Hot Wheels was invented. And again, I just forgot that Mattel was both Barbie and Hot Wheels and tons of other stuff and that they'd been around for so long. Once Hot Wheels were made, they started partnering with drag race drivers to get their cars printed so they could have like, you know, like they do now with like the Gravedigger monster truck uh, Hot Wheel or something like that. You know, they had the actual branded cars printed out they started that pretty early on and in 71 they were doing so well that they started to try and expand more and they actually purchased the ringling brothers and barnum and bailey circus uh, which seems like a weird acquisition and i guess it didn't do too well for them because two years later they sold it and shortly after that in 1974 is when some of the rocky parts of this history come up Mattel was found guilty of misleading and false financial records. And because of that, the banks asked the handlers, Ruth and Elliot, to resign. So they were pushed out of the company, still sort of had a stake in it for a little bit. But then by 1980, they were totally 
unassociated with the company, had sold all of their stocks and everything else. Jumping back a little bit, in 1976, Mattel Electronics became a separate division and made its first product a handheld video game, uh, which Ben's going to talk about those a little bit, but that's obviously where they become interesting to us in this timeline. And just to wrap up a couple brief points, I mean, Mattel's still around today and I think still going strong. I didn't really look at their financials or anything, uh, but some other interesting points later in 82 during the video game crash, which uh, were around that in the 80s, early 80s, Mattel almost went bankrupt. So <laughs> they are going to be involved in the gaming industry for a while and we'll have to see in the next couple of years how that affects them. But later in 1993, they were still making big acquisitions. They bought out a big toy competitor, Fisher Price. And uh, as I said, they're kind of still around today. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a couple things that I thought were kind of interesting as I looked through their history. So some of the products that I thought were interesting. They seem to be the sole uh, license holders for Uno and also for the Magic 8-Ball and um, also Thomas and the Tank Engine. Uh, That's right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I read that all of their production now is entirely in China. So they don't produce anything in the U.S. anymore. And there was actually a weird, like, lead recall scandal thing that happened pretty recently regarding <laughs> their last plant in the U.S. Yikes, so, okay. <laughs> a little yikes. But yeah, getting into the video game part, we have covered their first ever handheld game. In fact, all of their handheld games up until where we are today in the timeline. But the first ones, just as a reminder was um auto race in actually 76 1976 and then football and missile attack were very soon after i think football was the really big one that took off and as soon as football really took off and started to sell well they did all of their other sports games like basketball and hockey and soccer and all those so that's where they really decided to invest in and actually make a, a separate company being Mattel Electronics into this stuff. And originally I thought Funtronics, which is the brand name for the games we're going to be doing today, was like another company, kind of like Atari and Key Games were two companies in the beginning of uh, video gaming history, but owned by the same person. But I think it's just a marketing thing. It's not another company, although it sounds like another company to me, because <laughs> we've had a, a lot of companies like Fun Games Right, very generic sounding like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just a marketing thing. But yeah, it's cool to check out what Mattel's been up to. They've had a lot of acquisitions over the years, that's for sure. Honestly, like one of those mega corporations, especially in, in toys, it's, it's interesting. I was reading about it and it seems like nowadays there's these big bidding wars for just like licenses of like Marvel or Star Wars or whatever. Right, and, yeah. You know, whoever gets those rights is the sole producer of those toys. So it seems to be more about getting licenses now than actually making, like, a new product to, like, Barbie or something, you know? <laughs> I don't think they really do much of that anymore, or at least nothing that's been successful. Yeah, and a lot of... uh. A lot of buying out of creations that other people make. 
I think, which is right. sort of like, like outsourcing, know. I guess, but <laughs> yeah, right. in a weird kind of way. But either way, I mean, it's an interesting company. They've done a lot of cool stuff. They're kind of huge and they've done a lot of not so great stuff too, but we are at least grateful for the handhelds that they have made and glad to know that Funtronics is part of them. So why don't we go talk about some of those handheld games over in the timeline? Hey everybody, welcome back from that brief break. Let's get right into it and talk about some of the Funtronics handhelds that we were mentioning earlier. Uh, so the first one that we want to mention is called Red Light, Green Light, and it's a video game adaptation of the popular kids game, uh, made popular again by Squid Game, of course, although this version is nowhere near as scary. Uh, and in this, you just had to press a button to advance your character. Two players could play against each other. And you had to run while the light was green and then stop when the light is red. And if you're moving when the light is red, you get teleported all the way back to the beginning. Uh, so an interesting kind of video game handheld take on that game. Yeah, seems kind of weird that two people would have their hands on one handheld, but, you know, who am I to say? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I guess they're figuring it's for kids. Maybe they can fit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta sit real close to your buddies. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the next one here is also under the Funtronics brand label thing, which I don't really know what connects these Funtronics games if they were just like, this sounds cool. And then later they were like, okay, it's not cool anymore. And they stopped, but <laughs> there's a quite a few here, but um, it's not something that we're going to see next year, I don't think. So the next one is called Tag. Seems kind of like a whack-a-mole game with pretty much all these handheld games it's just like red led lights that just turn on and off and you basically hit a button when they turn on in this case to whack them all and then the last two funtronics games that we want to mention is one called jacks and one called hot wheels drag race uh both of which we didn't really have much information on and they didn't really sound too great either yeah um, but moving on we've got atari cosmos this is a handheld by Atari. It's actually a prototype cartridge-based handheld, which would have been the first of its kind, but it ended up never being sold. I'm not really sure why. There are three known to exist today, and apparently one sold fairly recently for about $7,500. Wow. So it kind of used some sort of holographic display as well, which seems pretty crazy, but obviously since it never came out, uh, and there's only three that have ever been sold. It's uh, We don't have too much info on it. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see if uh, cartridge handhelds are already, people are thinking about them back in 79. I can't wait till we get the first uh, functional I think one. they are, Wes. I think it's going to come up pretty soon. Ooh, okay, okay. Ben knows. <laughs> I do know. All right. But now moving on from handhelds into the arcade cabinets for a little bit. Uh, we've got the first game that I rated today, Warrior by Vector Beam. When you see Vector Beam, you know, of course, it's going to be another vector graphics game, which are always weird and always so unique. So we love to take a look at them. Uh, this one has some particularly great 
imagery on the flyer and the cabinet. It's these two like medieval kind of warriors fighting with these flaming glowing swords in front of what looks like uh, Castle Grayskull from He-Man or something. Like it's pretty cool. I dig it. And uh, basically the gameplay for this is a top down sword fighting game where you have to kill your opponent as many times as you can in the allotted time. It's hard to describe. It's probably best to just kind of look up a video of it, but top down, you're kind of looking straight on and their swords are facing forward when they're out. It's a little hurts your brain, but once you look at it for a bit, you know what it's how it's trying to orient them. It's only a two-player game. There's no AI as far as I could tell, but there is an attract screen where the characters are automatically fighting and kind of doing moves with their swords, which is pretty cool. Uh, you can't move your character when you're moving your sword and vice versa. Uh, the controls on the cabinet were actually just a single joystick for each player and you hold a button on top of the joystick when you want to move your sword instead of moving your character. Uh, but you can move your character anywhere you want. Your sword, you can also kind of pull back and strike down. You can strike side to side. You can extend it straight out. So the joystick really gives you a lot of flexibility with how you move the sword, which is pretty crazy for a arcade cabinet in 79. Your swords can also have, or your swords also always have collision. So if you hit the opponent's sword, it doesn't pass right through it. It actually kind of hits it and clashes and it sort of locks your movement to the character too. Like if your swords are clashing and creating friction with each other and you move forward, you actually push your opponent in that direction, uh, which is really interesting. And I think they can push you back as well. It seems like players are killed with one hit of the sword, but it's kind of hard to tell. Either you have to hit them in the head or you have to swing hard enough to get like I doubt the game registers momentum, but there might be something with like how far you swing and how much damage it does because I could not consistently swing at and kill people. Um, most likely, I think it's probably just that you have to hit them in the center of the character model because their arms don't register as hits. Hmm. But another way that you can kill people is these pits that are on the map where if you fall down them, you just instantly die. Um, so there's a decent bit of ways that you can fight in this there's also stairs and sort of some obstacles which are on an overlay not actually rendered in graphics but that sort of divide the map up a bit but it sounds really weird and it's hard to picture because we haven't really played a lot of games like this before uh, but that's basically it you're just sword fighting with surprisingly fluid and detailed sword movement and trying to kill your opponent so I feel like I got to get into the ratings because this game is <laughs> hard to describe uh, without talking about all the different bits of it. So for graphics, I gave it a 3 out of 10 because Warrior just has such a unique and awesome visual style. Uh, some of the negatives about it are that it's, or because of Vector Graphics, it's only black and white and there's no background. It's really just the two characters that are being uh, animated. There's a overlay that's like blue and has some strange fantasy castle going on which looks okay uh kind of weird but <laughs> uh it gives it a little bit of detail there i wish it could have been actual rendered graphics but because they're doing so much with the characters i can forgive it 
and the characters really are very detailed. I mean, you can see their arms moving like their elbows and their shoulders and their wrists. It's not just like these lines. They kind of look like uh, mannequins, basically, with like a bunch of circles and ovals forming up their whole body. Their body also moves like in response to the sword. So if you pull it back, you can see their arms go up sort of behind their head. Uh, so it looks really good for the characters. Their heads are also always slowly turning to face the enemy, uh, which I thought was a really nice touch. They're always making eye contact. Uh, and to make up for the lack of an actual graphical background, the characters actually interact with the overlay. Uh, kind of a bad way to word it, but what I mean is there's stairs on the overlay. So when your character walks over that section of the screen, they get larger. So it looks like they're actually going up the stairs and then they get smaller when they go back down the stairs, uh, which is really interesting. I think probably actually makes your hitbox bigger when you're up the stairs. Uh, so I'm curious to see if that was a tactic that some people used. There's also the pits that I described earlier, which have a little bit more detail in the overlay. And if you step into that square pit, you instantly die. Uh, so even though not a lot of the details on the map are actually rendered, it still looks good how the characters interact with this overlay environment uh, and looks pretty believable too, the way that it's uh, displayed. The swords themselves are pretty simple. They're just big triangles. But what they have going for them is this really cool effect that I think is supposed to represent the flames that you see on the flyer. Uh, there's just like these circles of expanding dots that sparkle almost all around the sword. And they start out really dim, but as you get closer to your enemy's sword, they get brighter. So it looks like they're kind of like clashing with each other. Uh, and it gives you a very lightsaber kind of feel the way that it looks. Uh, so I really like that. Even though the swords themselves are simple, that effect is really cool. And that effect goes hand in hand with the sound that's playing the whole time. But I'll get to that in a sec. The last thing of the visuals that I want to mention is that the death is also pretty good. You kind of just explode into a bunch of dust and dots or whatever. But then all the dots regather at your base and sort of like look like they're reforming you from like all these little particles uh, so it's this neat effect moving on to sounds though i gave it a three out of ten here uh, because they are so unique it's very spacey even though the theming is like fantasy warriors uh, it definitely feels like they were going for star wars lightsaber fight uh, there's this constant low humming in the background that sounds exactly like a lightsaber and it gets louder as the swords get close to each other and clash. And that's the sound that I was talking about that kind of melds with that visual effect really well. The fact that it reacts to your movement, I think, is really cool. I like that idea for sound, especially in a fighting game kind of situation. Uh, and there's also a descending noise when you fall down a pit and an explosion noise on death that are both pretty good. But if I'm being honest, the main reason I'm giving it so high for sound is just that the simple lightsaber humming and how it reacts to you fighting is really cool and it helps with the theming a lot.
moving on to gameplay though, I only gave it a 2.75 out of 10 here uh, because Warriors gameplay isn't really its strong suit. Uh, the core concept is awesome and the idea is super fun, but the gameplay just kind of stumbles and feels a little clunky. Maybe that's because it's so ambitious, but uh, for one, the fact that you control your character's movement and how they move their sword with one joystick that sort of you toggle on and off with hitting a button on the top is really weird because you just sort of walk up to each other, hold the button, start swinging your swords like madmen, realize that you're not close enough, and then like let go of the sword button, walk towards each other. It just ends up being this weird little dance. So I, I didn't exactly like how that felt, but even with the clunkiness, there are still a ton of fun gameplay moments like clashing swords and being able to push your opponent off the edge of a pit because of it or waiting till they bring their sword to one side as they're trying to hit you and charging in and hitting them with a quick slash uh, it's definitely not easy to pull off but those moments still can happen which i think is really impressive for an arcade cabinet in 1979 uh, some of the other gripes i have with it just some minor things I wish the playfield was a little bigger. It feels like you have no room to breathe around the pits and the staircases. And the game timer, I'm sure this was adjustable on the cabinet, but it felt like I only had like 20 seconds and really wasn't enough time for anyone to get more than like one kill on each other. So a little clunky, but still fun overall. And moving on to relevance, I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. This game was pretty rare. There's not many of them around. But I feel like it definitely deserves some relevance for basically being the first lightsaber fighting game, even though it's not really. Uh, it's not really the first sword fighting game. I think we've seen prototypes that do sword fighting before. You did uh, jousting. Jousting. Like yep. Yeah. So I don't think it has that, but I would tentatively call it the first lightsaber fight game because it feels like <laughs> they just made it fantasy because they wanted to be not sued or something. Right. Um, it also has a really different vibe than the other like fighting game prototypes we've played like uh boxing by atari uh it just kind of feels more like a one-on-one -on -one fighting game than anything else we've really played and the fact that it has the pits that you can fall into and the different elevations just makes it feel a little bit more like mortal Kombat, and i really like that so i don't know if it really did too much and it was a rare game but i think it still deserves a little bit of relevance there and so overall, that left me with a 3 out of 10 for Warrior by Vector Beam. It's incredibly unique, has some pretty dang good sound and some weird but awesome graphics. Uh, the way the characters are animated just looks so cool. Uh, the gameplay is pretty fun, but also pretty clunky. Uh, worth checking out to at least see how it plays and if you have any fun with it. Uh, but overall, it's just still a good time and absolutely worth watching some video on just for how weird it is oh yeah definitely a cool one um we don't see a lot of melee combat games no even today it's hard to do melee combat yeah I, I can't imagine doing it not first person i know the top down view was so weird but also i kind of love it <laughs> and I, I saw some people calling this the first one-on-one -on -one fighting game i'm pretty sure we've seen others uh I mean, I'd, you could do boxing, right? Boxing, yeah. Although that was a prototype, so maybe it could get away well, with on it. On the Astrocade? Did that come out last year or this year? Oh, no. Yeah, you're right. Boxing on the Astrocade. With the big, long arms. 
That's right. I think that was last year, actually. So uh, I think it was last year, too. Yeah. So there's definitely been some other stuff, but this takes a whole new spin on it for sure. Yeah. And the vector graphics are just like amazing. I just love the way vector graphics look. Um, we mentioned it before, but if you guys aren't familiar with vector graphics, it's not like a pixel thing. Um, they draw them differently. So the resolution is like as crisp and as clear as it could possibly be. It's so well detailed um, and not blocky at all. So definitely it's pretty cool. Yeah. But let's move on to the next one, Wes. It's another arcade game. This one is one that I reviewed called Straight Flush by Taito. And what a name, first of all, Straight Flush. I mean, <laughs> great name. But uh, it is like weirdly card themed. There's a couple different weird themings going on, but it's actually a breakout slash pinball kind of game that we've seen before. But it's just so weird. I th- I thought I have to cover this because it's just <laughs> I don't know what to what to make of it. Definitely. I mean, when I saw Straight Flush as you know a poker hand or whatever, and then your description of it being a breakout pinball game, I'm like, there's definitely some strange <laughs> stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. So the I think that the other really weird part about this is that the cabinet art is a clown riding a broomstick, <laughs> and I'm like, is this okay. some part of clown? lore that i'm not familiar with they can fly broomsticks <laughs> why isn't it a witch <laughs> flying a broomstick it would make just as much sense i think or maybe it's supposed to be the joker you know from the card deck maybe okay but still that's but a stretch <laughs> why is he riding a broomstick i don't know <laughs> and in the game there is a sprite of i guess this joker fly, uh, riding around on a broomstick in the game um which is like a bonus kind of th- extra thing that pops up sometimes it reminds me of um field goal by taito which is another one by them where a weird football player showed up on the screen and just ran around randomly but this time it's i guess a joker on a broomstick it looks like a witch to be honest in the game but on the cabinet arc it's definitely like a clown slash joker um but then as far as what the actual play field is looks like it's super colorful, first of all. You have a light blue background, and all the like bumpers are one of the four decks in a deck of cards. So they're either all hearts, or they're all spades, or they're all jacks, or whatever. And basically, whenever you clear out all of those like hearts, for instance, then it'll spawn in a new set of things, but they'll be one of the other decks, like, like a spades or something. So instead of bricks, we've got hearts, spades, and jacks and stuff. Um, And each one of those are different colored. So we have this kind of rainbow effect. Um, They are a little pastel-y, so it looks, I don't know, they remind me of like sprinkles on a cake. (laughs) Like if you've got heart-shaped sprinkles. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's what it looks like. And then in the corners of the screen, you've got pretty much bumpers. But one of them spells out 10, Jack, Queen, King, Ace. And the other side spells out um, bonus. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much the game. All you're doing is trying to clear out all the hearts or whatever. So you can get another one in. You get a high score. And if you get all the bonus bumpers hit, then the Joker on the broomstick comes in and flies around. And if you hit that, you get extra points. Um, but otherwise you're playing breakout and it's just a one ball, one paddle kind of deal. Um, I feel like the paddle is 
actually probably a little bit bigger than usual, which is good because uh, the ball does not move slowly. <laughs> it gets a lot of speed <laughs> bouncing between everything. But yeah, that's pretty much the whole game. It's just super weird. There's like a lot of different things going on with it that don't make a whole lot of sense to me, but it is colorful. So <laughs> got to give it that. <laughs> um, but let's move into my ratings. For a gameplay, I just gave this a 2 out of 10. I mean, we've played a lot of breakout games, and I don't think this is the best one. <laughs> I don't know, I guess maybe the theming just isn't doing it for me, because in a breakout game where everything else is pretty much identical, like the gameplay is identical to just breakout, I think I would prefer just breakout, or maybe one of the other ones... Um, like Field Goal, for instance, which has its, a, a much more unique spin on it where you have like different almost animations of stuff coming in and leaving. And this one feels a lot more just kind of generic, but just themed very strangely. So I didn't think it was it was terrible, but it, it wasn't that fun. For graphics, I gave it a two and a half out of ten. I mean, again, it's in true color with like lots of rainbow this going on to it the bumpers on the corners change uh, between a bunch of different colors if they get hit a, a bunch of times and you do have an animated i guess joker on a broomstick that flies around <laughs> sometimes also the uh the bumpers uh before they get hit to reveal like the word bonus for instance it's actually the back of a playing card so it's it's pretty cool but um they're all single colored sprites and there's there's really not a whole lot moving other than just the ball and the paddle when you're playing the game. Assuming the Joker on the broomstick isn't there, which it's not there for most of the time. So it feels kind of boring to look at, to be honest. It's just kind of like a <laughs> rainbow mess. But um, at least it's true color and the resolution is good. So some points. For sound, I had to give it an NA because I couldn't find any video of it with sound. It's not emulated and there's no videos of the real cabinet that I could find, so just NA. I can't imagine they would have been that good, but <laughs> maybe no, there was I'm a sure. little tune or something. <laughs> um, in relevance, I gave it a 3.5 out of 10. I mean, what is this innovating? I don't know. It feels like Taito saw their field goal game and we're like let's do this again but worse <laughs> and that's what we got oh I, f I forgot to mention there's a uh there is like a dice bonus thing at the top of the screen that spawns sometimes and if you hit it a row of dice spawn in and it kind of traps your ball between the top of the screen and the row of dice so you get that really nice kind of effect where it hits a bunch of stuff over and over and over again kind yeah, of like yeah. you're clearing that last row which normally the way the hearts and stuff are spaced out it's, it's really hard to hit more than one or two and at a time because there there's a lot of space in between them so the ball kind of can just completely miss every one of them you know sometimes so it's nice that they added that little dice thing but it, it doesn't do that much but yeah, I, don't, I just don't think this was super relevant. It didn't really innovate too much, and theming is just very strange to me, so <laughs> I just gave it three and a half for relevance, and then overall I gave it a 2.25. Straight flush is alright, but um, I think it would have been more interesting if you were like a rat in a toilet than 
<laughs> with a name like that than uh than this. Uh, yeah. I don't know, it feels feels kind of like soulless. Like there's nothing really special about it. <laughs> so it's colorful, but that's the best thing about it. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> I looked up some pictures and yeah, it's just it's just a mess of stuff. It's like they needed a new <laughs> pong thing to like fill a fill the market or something. Not pong, breakout thing to fill the market. And they're just like, eh, let's just throw this out there. But <laughs> yeah. Feels like um like nobody really stopped to ask the question, but why? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why are we doing this? I kind of got it with with field goal, which is very similar, but it at least was kind of themed in this sports game that wasn't actual sports game, but um, it could get maybe get away with it. But this is just like some sort of weird breakout clone that did not really try. <laughs> to be honest. Gotcha. Interesting. It looks good. Oh well, at least it's got that going for it. <laughs> But let's keep going with our timeline. We've got some honorable mentions here uh, from the Personal Computing October of 79 issue. Uh, the ones we wanted to mention here are one called the Minotaur's Malevolent Maze, which is sort of a maze, sort of just obstacles appearing in your way. But the whole idea is that as you try to get through the maze, it changes. Walls appear in front of you and you have to go down a different path. Uh, but that's basically it. Yep, and also in the same issue, we have Gomoku, which is a five-in-a-row type game. I could have sworn we've played this. It reminds me of Othello or Reversi, which I think you did, Wes. I think maybe we'll play one of these in the future, but we weren't able to play this one because it's just like basic code listed in the magazine. So, you know, when it comes to the Atari 2600 or whatever, we'll, well maybe we'll give Gomoku a go. Give it its fair share. <laughs> Uh, but let's move back into arcade cabinet land for a little bit. Got the second game that I reviewed today, Space Gorilla by Amori. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm very excited about this one. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And I should say it's Gorilla like Gorilla Warfare and not Gorilla as in a gorilla. Uh, that was probably the most confusing sentence I've ever said, but hopefully you know <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> uh, but again, I went digging into the flyer to see what some of those great advertisements are. And this one does have some fantastic imagery. Uh, if you know the strange like Godzilla character, Jet Jaguar, it basically looks like a whole army of Jet Jaguars versus a spaceship that's shooting lightning at a planet. Um, so, you know, I'm down. I'm all in Wait, on who's, it. Who's good guy there? I really don't know. It's pro I, I think we are. The Jet Jaguar characters are. Shooting. Wait. Wait, we're the Jet Jaguar character? Yeah, we're. Okay. We are a spaceship, but. Or I guess we're like a, a mortar or something, because it's a bunch of like army men who are like manning cannons on the ground, basically. They just have like super spacey looking things, and we're fighting the spaceships. So we're the good guys on the ground in, I guess, uh, anti air turrets. It's a little hard to tell. Uh, but <laughs> the gameplay is basically space invaders like original space invaders mixed with galaxian uh, amazingly enough the invaders move across the screen from left to right but instead of staying on the screen like most of these games they actually go off the screen 
and then come back on from the same side going the opposite direction, but they stay at the same height for that wave because there are lots of waves that really change things up in this game. Um, after the initial wave, which seems like it's time-based, uh, or if you shoot them all down, but multiple times I didn't shoot them all down, but it went to the next phase anyway. It goes to a bonus round where one ship is flying around super erratically and shooting at you and you have to shoot that down. And then it goes back to a traditional wave of invaders at the top of the screen trying to shoot you, except this time they're closer. So instead of moving down every time they go off the side of the screen, it's basically every wave and after every bonus round that they get progressively closer. Where it starts to mix in the Galaxian style things is that there are multiple enemy types and they can fly down and do bombing runs at you and they all move in different patterns. Uh, there's one that flies at a sort of angle towards you and shoots. There's another one that parks right above the barrier above you uh, because there are barriers like classic uh, space invaders in this. And instead of shooting at you, it just basically shoots until it drills a hole completely through the barrier. Uh, so that's a really interesting behavior. And then there's also some that can shoot diagonally instead of shooting straight down at you. So you have those barriers you can hide under, although they're actually styled to look like uh, cities and mountains in this. Uh, you have the typical three lives and you only have one bullet on the screen at the same time. Uh, but there's some other interesting stuff with what seems like a special bonus round where if you hit a certain target during the bonus round before that, you get like these five ships that spawn in that are all super fast and you have to shoot them all before they hit the bottom of the screen because if a ship hits the bottom of the screen, you die. Um, so typical kind of stuff at least in the core gameplay you're shooting innovators if they get to the bottom of the screen you die and if you get hit you die but a lot of weird dynamics to the enemy invaders that make it different and a little bit like galaxian so for the graphics for this game i gave it a three out of ten because it is in true color and it doesn't quite look as good as galaxian I'm thinking they're probably still on that frame buffering instead of the uh, tile mapping kind of graphic style, especially considering this is only like one month after Galaxian came out. Uh, but Space Gorilla still does a really good job of looking a lot better than Space Invaders that we've seen before and all the Space Invaders clones we've looked at before. It's got multicolored sprites for a few of the different sprites, and while most of them are only a single color, they do have some really unique colors with like some deep greens, blues, and like a peachy kind of color in there too. Uh, there's multicolored stars in the background and not all of them twinkle, but a few of them twinkle. So it gives a nice effect similar to what Galaxian did. Uh, the barriers, as I mentioned, are made up to look like green hills and skyscrapers, uh, which is a little disconcerting because you're hiding behind them. So I don't really <laughs> know what we're protecting because uh, <laughs> what you're above is just the red line below you and you're just hiding behind all these skyscrapers uh, but either way they look nice the explosion sprites for blowing stuff up is kind of just okay but it's nice to have it for both you and the enemies that you're shooting uh, and everything actually moves fairly smoothly uh, i noticed in all the videos i watched 
when you shoot an enemy, there's a half second where everything pauses to catch up with the fact that an enemy just disappeared. So <laughs> there is a little bit of hitching there. And if it was still frame buffering, I think that would make sense. Um, but other than that, it does run pretty smoothly. Uh, and the best graphics element of all is that if you let this go to the attract screen before you start playing the game, there's this weird animation of a UFO landing on one of the barriers on top of a mountain. The little green alien gets out of the barrier, walks down the mountain, and then pees on the ground. Um, so, <laughs> okay. I don't know why they threw that in there. Maybe it also happens during the game if you get to a certain bonus stage. Uh, but they took the time to animate it, so <laughs> good on them. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the sounds, though, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10 here. The game has a lot of sounds, but we've heard, I think, every single one of them before. This, unfortunately, though, I really am not sure if it's because of the emulation or not. Uh, we couldn't find any video of the original cabinet, and all these sounds sound like things that I've heard in previous Space Invaders clones, so it's possible they didn't have the sound files and they just used these. Unfortunately, I don't know for sure. Uh, to be honest, I wouldn't expect the sounds to be all that revolutionary, even if they were unique sounds for it. So I'm just going to leave it at that 1.5 for now. But if we find out more information, I might retroactively change that. Moving on to gameplay now, I gave it a 2.75 out of 10. Uh, it basically plays like a really good Space Invaders and a not great Galaxian. Uh, so it's somewhere in the middle there. Uh, it doesn't quite live up to the amazingness of Galaxian, but it is definitely, I think, one of the most fun Space Invaders clones that we've ever seen. Uh, it's super fast and has tons going on, which is both good and bad. Uh, just learning the waves because they happen so fast is a bit of a trial. But I really like all these different enemy behaviors and the uh, sheer number of unique waves that are going on with like different things popping up on the screen in different locations and there's a lot to uh, take in there so i really like that there's nice variety but the shooting still feels kind of slow and i'm honestly not too sure i like space invaders games with the barriers at the bottom i feel like trying to hide behind them and then ducking out to shoot almost always gets me killed uh, i sort of rather have the galaxy and just open field at the bottom way of doing things uh, but either way it's pretty fun a lot of variety for a space invaders clone and it plays pretty well moving on to relevance now i gave space gorilla a five out of ten here uh it's another in a long line of space invaders clones but at least it's one that did some new stuff i would imagine that they might have come up with the galaxian like gameplay independently it's hard to tell. It's so soon after Galaxian, though. Um, I guess they could have turned around pretty quick in a month to engineer their game to do some similar things, but if they did think of it independently, good on them for doing that. Shame they didn't get there a little bit sooner, um, but they definitely deserve some credit for being innovative, even if they were just incorporating things that they saw from another game, uh, because it's a really new take on this Space Invaders type clone. And then overall, that left me with a 2.5 out of 10. Space Gorilla is one of the best Space Invader clones that we've ever seen. It improves on the graphics a ton and a lot of variety in the gameplay, but 
still, it's just so hard to be Galaxian because uh, <laughs> I don't even consider that a Space Invader clone anymore. Like it's just Galaxian, but it is technically a Space Invaders clone and man, it blows them out of the water. Uh, but that shouldn't diminish from how good this is uh, and all the cool stuff that they added to it. I love the unique enemy behaviors. It really feels like it's got its own identity and feel. Uh, so it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, man. Yeah, the uh, the city and the mountains are probably my favorite part. They look really good, I think. They do look really good. I'm impressed that they would do that for something that's just going to get destroyed almost immediately. Right. <laughs> but in the cutscenes, <laughs> it looks really good because uh, there's almost, there's a couple like small Pac-Man style cutscenes, I feel like, too. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think they probably did it independently. It feels much more Space Invaders than Galaxian was, you know? But it has, you know, colored stars in the background that twinkle a little bit, and the aliens do move in circles sometimes, so... Yeah. Uh, that part feels very Galaxian, but the rest kind of doesn't. But I think the worst thing about it is probably just the enemy sprites. They're all single color, no animation at all, I don't think. They just kind of float along. No, no animation. Uh, I think there's like one rocket at the top of the screen that's multicolored, and there might be one other multicolored sprite, but yeah, they're a little chunky and bland. Right. So that, that feels more like Space Invaders, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting, you know, what if Galaxy didn't come out? Would we be talking about Ace Gorilla? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Possible. All right, but let's move on. Uh, next up here, we just have a, a quick shout out to uh, Space Gorilla by Omni, which um, I think is license, a licensed version from Omori, the original developer. So kind of a weird, very similar naming there. I think it's just coincidental. Um, but then moving on, I'm going to give just a quick extended mention to Adventure 7 Mystery Funhouse Adventure by Scott Adams and Adventure International. So I decided not to give this one a full review because we have other stuff we want to talk about, but also, I don't know, there's just, I'm just not as excited about these games knowing that the count is most likely the best one, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. Um, and I'm reading reviews for even this Adventure 7 and, and the reviewer's like, it's pretty good, but it's not as good as the count. <laughs> um, and to be honest, uh, the count was just awesome. But um, this one is a little interesting. It's kind of themed around a fun house, kind of amusement park kind of deal. It's supposedly a fictional place, but there was an actual location in Florida, which is apparently where Scott Adams is at, called Mystery Fun House, and he later got sued by them <laughs> because of this. <laughs> but it's apparently just a fictional fun house world. But uh, something that's kind of not good about it is it goes back to a not necessarily collect the treasures thing but there's no like story it's more just like a roam around solve some puzzles and eventually you win the game so it's not as heavily story based as something like the count or um some of his other early works that we've gone over which led me to really think yeah i'm not so interested in covering it but i do want to mention a couple things in one of the blog posts that we uh, read, which is called Gaming After 40 Blogspot, Scott Adams himself commented 
on a, a blog post, which is I thought was really cool in 2009. So I don't know if he's still around, but he says in this blog post that his wife Alexis wanted another go at writing an adventure game. This time around, it was more of a case of her telling him what rooms she wanted in the game, and then he just kind of had to build a game around that. <laughs> oh, nice. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting to know that it wasn't a um, Scott Adams original. I believe his wife also helped write another one, maybe Pirate Adventure. I forget which one it was, but some other one. So, yeah, his wife kind of wrote this one, at least uh, the descriptions of the rooms. And then he just kind of threw in some puzzles, which doesn't surprise me at all because of the frequency that he's putting out games. It's literally like one a month. So he's got to yeah. get tired eventually. <laughs> Be like, can you help me <laughs> write something? So um, I'm not surprised about that at all, but it's kind of an interesting one. And um, I don't want to say for sure what happens with Scott Adams and Adventure International, but the result of the lawsuit between him and uh, Mystery Funhouse is that they ended up getting nothing because they were already out of business. So, oh. hmm. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes uh, litigation goes for years. So, you know, hopefully we'll, he'll, we'll see him around for a while yet. But um, I just thought that was a funny way. He, in the comment, he was very passive aggressive about it. He was like, I don't even know why they sued us when we were going out of business. They should have known <laughs> that they were going to get nothing. <laughs> you know, something like that. <laughs> yeah, really? Um. So yeah, it was kind of an interesting one, but no story and um, just knowing that it wasn't the best one. It's kind of like weird how it ends too. Apparently you just like have to type something specific in one uh, certain area of the game and then you just win the game. Um, and you know, there's clues and stuff to help you figure that out, but you can just do it by accident or, you know, find that last clue first or something and end up skipping parts of the game. So kind of weird, weird, but, and I'm not sure I'd be interested in a mystery fun house themed adventure. There's a lot of clown (laughs) stuff going on in this episode and I'm a little done with it. (laughs) I don't want any more clown stuff. (laughs) Getting a little skeeved out. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, yeah, hopefully we'll see a few more adventure games uh, in the near future. But let's move on now to Creative Computing, uh, the October 1979 issue. We didn't see anything worth mentioning in September, so we're just going to mention these here. Uh, First up, we had the TRS-80 Games Strategy Pack, which looks like it included a 3D maze game, Grand Track 10 style game, um, Space Games 3 on another pack, and then Pursuit Games. Uh, most of them are emulated, but they all seem like pretty basic, basic code games that we've seen before. Uh, so nothing we wanted to cover. Yep. Um, also in the October issue was a game called Odell 2 by Marge Cosell. It was kind of like an Oregon Trail game or some sort of simple RPG where you actually play as an animal who needs mm-hmm. to survive run-ins with other animals or, you know, events like starvation and stuff. Um, I wasn't able to play it because it's just in a magazine, but I don't know. It sounds cool. Like you play as like a fox and stuff. I don't know. Might be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one we have for that issue is U.S. War by Garth Dolahite, uh, which looked like a complicated risk type game where it's Eastern versus Western U.S., uh, but it was a mainframe game that we couldn't really get access to uh, to play it. 
Yep. And then moving on, we have a bunch of games that were advertised in that issue. They probably came out independently um, over the last few months, but we this is the first time that we've ever seen like publication about them. So I thought it'd be a good time to bring them up now. The first one is by Programma called Triple Trap, and also there's one called Triple Trap 2. But I wasn't able to see what that one is. But Triple Trap 1 is a destroy the sectors type of game where you have to try to trap an enemy dot that you can't see and is moving every turn. We've seen that kind of game before. I think, Wes, you actually reviewed one of those games. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty cool game, but um, it's slow and just black and white with no real graphics. So apparently it's themed with a Star Trek theming, but that's got to be in text only. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Just uh, the fact that uh, the best. Tribbles eat everything in Star Trek. So I guess that's why you're trying to trap them. But that's about got it. it. <laughs> Uh, and then we have a bunch of those advertised games, which were all by Simutech. Uh, we have Robot Hunter, uh, which looks like a simple shooting game where you move a ship up and down and drop bombs kind of at an angle to destroy robots. But the robots did have some really cool running and jumping animations. Mm-hmm. And then moving on, we have again from Simu or Simutech, one called Pharaoh, which was an Egyptian version of Hammurabi which sounds amazing. (laughs) Um, I did like look it up and you do have, um, it kind of like lets you pick how many resources you want to try to juggle between like maybe one and eight resources. I tried just two and I had like 5,000 people start on the first turn. I was like, okay, I'm not doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then the next one that we have is Galactic Battle, also by Simutech. Simutech. Now I'm thinking about the way to say it. Whoops. Uh, and it's just a simple space shooting game, but it didn't really have great graphics and there wasn't any sound. Uh, the unique thing that it has going for it is that one player is faster but has low range, and the computer is slower but has longer range. Uh, so, sort of a weird asymmetric duel kind of thing. And then the last one here by Simutech, I'm going to say. Um... Again, advertised in this October issue of Creative Computing was one called Air Command. I wanted to mention it a little bit more in depth real quick. Again, because this one is really cool looking, but it's it's just a little too simple. Basically what this game is, it's a side-scrolling game where you're playing as a fighter jet or something. But the side-scrolling is going, you know, side to side instead of a usual scrolling graphic, which is usually up and down, it seems like. So this one's side to side, and... Uh, what's scrolling is actually at the bottom of the screen you have what are kind of made out to be like buildings so it feels like you're flying above a city which is awesome and you're just basically a fighter jet that can move up and down on the screen and stuff comes at you from the side and you just want to shoot them down pretty much so it's just a very simple shooting game but i thought the scrolling graphic part really kind of made it pretty cool it ran pretty fast for trs 80 but pretty slow for us today maybe like five frames a second 10 frames a second you know it's not great but it wasn't terrible so i kind of liked it but i don't think there was any sound and it wasn't pure black and white graphics so it was good for the trs 80 but not a great game right then moving on to our last section of honorable mentions for the day we have the kilobod october magazine 
uh, with one game called Arena, which simulates arena combat, uh, but I don't think it did it in an interesting enough way that we uh, wanted to cover it. Yeah, I think it was like a turn-based random RNG kind of thing, but... Um, ah, yeah. <laughs> the usual. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one here, a very weird one called Touch. It was basically the game of Twister, but instead of touching a mat on the ground, you touched other people's bodies in a non-sexual way. It was more of like, this is a fun game for people to get to know each other better. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> it's like, yeah. touch, touch Lisa on the elbow, and you're like... That's weird. So, um, it was pretty strange, but uh, yeah, it was something. They wrote an article about it, <laughs> and the, reading the article was pretty funny, I had to say. So, um, but that will do it for us today, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We had a lot of weird stuff. Oh, Wes, you played two great games: Warrior and Space Gorilla. Yes, um, yeah, I really liked. I did Straight Flush, which was interesting we'll say <laughs> and uh just had a more in-depth look at adventure 7 and air command by Simutech. um and we also talked about mattel and funtronics so it was a good day for sure yeah always good to check out some weird and wacky stuff that nobody's ever heard of before because that's what we love to cover on the podcast <laughs> oh yeah uh, but with that uh thank you guys for checking this out make sure to check out our website if you want more information about everything we've covered so far if you want to read about developers if you want to see gifs of all of these games we've got loads of stuff on there uh, make sure to follow us on twitter and as always make sure to send us an email if you have any questions and with that we'll catch you next time see you all next time <laughs>